Well, good morning, everyone. I want to welcome you to Genesis Church. My name is Paul Mumon. I'm the lead pastor here. And uh, you ever feel like uh, you're running, or maybe a better word is dying at 2%? You ever feel like that? I mean, when you think about it, we go and we go and we go all the time. And, you know, after a really long day, what do we do? You crash into the pillow uh, only to wake up maybe five or six hours later, if you're lucky, and we do it all over again. And uh, we, we are so busy. Like we live in such a fast-paced culture. In fact, I would say we've got busyness perfected here on the north side, all right? Right here in Hamilton County, central Indiana, we are so good at keeping up the pace. We are so good at the busyness. I mean, so many of us are overextended. We're overcommitted. We're running on fumes. Our busyness, whether we realize it or not, is like a drain. And that drain just threatens to deplete us and deplete anything that we have left to give. But what if I told you this? What if I told you that I believe there's a better way to live? Uh, What if I told you there's a better way to live, that there's a better weekly rhythm, and get this, it's from God. Uh, It's created by him, and uh, it's for you, it's for me, it's for us, and Again, it's a gift that he wants to offer to each of us. Last week, uh, our executive pastor, Steve Wallen, was here, and he talked with us about priorities, you know, the importance of uh, pointing out those most important things in your life and actually scheduling them into your life, into your week, so that they get accomplished. This morning, I want to kind of continue with that, but I want to talk with you specifically about why weekly Sabbath rest should be a priority in your life. Now, what is that? What does that mean for us? It's just this, if you're taking notes. Sabbath rest is a way of ordering your life around a pattern of six days a week, all right, that uh, you get all of the work done six days a week so that you can rest on the seventh. It's a, it's a chance to break from the routine, if you, would, uh, if you will. It's a, it's a chance to step out of the rat race. It's an opportunity, really, to experience a divine recharge in your life so that we might better understand who we are, uh, who he is, and what he wants to do in us and really through us through our lives here on the earth. So if you've got a Bible with you today, I'm going to invite you to take it uh, and turn to the Old Testament book of Exodus. It's the second book in the Old Testament, uh, Exodus chapter 20. Uh, If you want to use one of the Bibles around the room on the floor, uh, it's page 52 there. We'll also have these words on the screen. But Exodus chapter 20, let me give you some background of what's happening when we arrive at this place in Exodus 20. You know that God brought his people, the Israelites, out of slavery in Egypt and led them to a place in the wilderness called Mount Sinai. Now, Sinai is the place where God entered into a covenant relationship with his people, all right? A marriage of sorts. It was if God was saying, I will be your God and you will be my people and we will be in this covenant relationship together. And so Sinai is where the wedding happened. Torah or law is like God's wedding gift to his bride. God was ready to instruct his people how to live life well and how to live life faithfully on the earth. And so he gave them Torah, he gave them law to provide that daily instruction. Now, the first five books of the Old Testament are often referred to or called uh, the Pentateuch, all right? Pentateuch meaning five, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Pentateuch, uh, but also Torah or law. It's made up of 613 different laws, if you were to count all of them. And within Torah, within these five books, you will also find what we know more commonly as the Ten Commandments, all right? And it's fair to say that the Ten Commandments provide a good summary of all of the laws that are found in Torah. Now, here's what's interesting about the Ten Commandments. 
The first three commandments uh, have everything to do with our vertical relationship with God. The last six commandments have more to do with the horizontal, have more to do with our relationship with other people around us. The fourth commandment is unique. It's unlike any of the others and curiously sits in the middle of these two categories. Let's look at it together. Exodus chapter 20, starting in verse 8, otherwise known as the fourth commandment. We read this, remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Stop there for a second. The emphasis is on the word remember. All right, and if you're in your own Bibles and you even want to circle that word, circle the word remember. It's God's way of saying that there is something special about the Sabbath. All right, there is something life-giving and essential for us to be taken by the Sabbath day. The fact, though, is this, that we tend to look at the Sabbath or we hear Sabbath and we think to ourselves something of the past, all right, or something ancient or something for the Jews or something that's impossible or even optional to achieve. But the truth is that God has something very special. Uh, for every single one of us, especially if you call yourself a follower of Christ today when it comes to the Sabbath. In fact, if you're taking notes and you want to write this down, write this. Sabbath is a gift. Sabbath is a gift uh, by God. It's the opportunity to take one day a week as a day of rest. All right, again, this is a gift. It's a way of, uh, of living life, potentially living life in such a way that it can make all of the difference in how we function in this world. Now, part of what I want to ask today, though, is how do we better understand the intent of Sabbath? All right, how, how can we better understand this as, you know, those that are living in 2018? Well, my friend Brad Gray reminded me uh, of a helpful Bible study method known as the principle of first use, all right? The principle of first use. Basically, that when you come across a word like Sabbath in the Bible, it can be helpful to ask, where is this first used in Scripture? Like, where is the first time we come across the word Sabbath in the Bible? First use to, tends to provide an even de deeper or richer meaning. Now, does anyone happen to know where we find the first use of the word Sabbath in the Bible? Maybe you said Genesis under your breath. That's what I was thinking, all right, when I heard Brad ask this question this past week. But it's not so. That's not the first use of the word Sabbath. I'll tell you why. If you, again, if you're like me, you probably thought the Genesis account. But actually, the first use of the Hebrew word Sabbath is found just a few pages away in Exodus chapter 16, all right? We'll get to Genesis in just a moment. But if you go to Exodus 16, if you would, just to give you some context here, before arriving at Sinai, the people of God were hungry hungry and searching for food in the wilderness. And Exodus 16 shows us how God is going to provide for his people. And just to give you some details here, and we'll look at some verses in just a moment, uh, God is going to provide quail in the evening for his people as a source of meat. He provides a cracker-like substance uh, that we know as manna. It just simply means what is it. But uh, he provides this cracker-like substance every morning for his people. Moses gave specific instructions, all right, to the people to gather as much as they needed each day. You weren't to gather any more than you needed or any less than you needed. But for one day at a time, uh, and many struggled in this. Many struggled to just simply do things their own way. And so some gathered too much only to find that it's spoiled by the next morning. But they eventually learned their lesson. And then let's look at how it picks up in verse 21. And I want you to sort of notice the rhythm and the instructions here. We read, each morning everyone gathered as much as they needed. 
And when the sun grew hot, it melted away. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much, two omers for each person. And the leaders of the community came and reported this to Moses. He said to them, this is what the Lord commanded. Tomorrow is to be a day of Sabbath rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. So bake what you want to bake and boil what you want to boil. Save whatever is left and keep it until morning. So they saved it until morning as Moses commanded, and it did not stink or get maggots in it. Eat it today, Moses said, because today is a Sabbath to the Lord. You will not find any of it on the ground today. Six days you are to gather it, but on the seventh day, the Sabbath, there will not be any. This is the first use of the Hebrew word Sabbath in our Bibles, and it's the Hebrew word Shabbat. All right, the word Sabbath comes from the Hebrew word Shabbat, and it comes from a verb that simply means to cease from the work, to break, all right, to break from the work, and write that down in your notes. It literally means to break from the work, to stop working, and so God's people are going to come to understand Sabbath as a day that it's a gift, all right, that it's a gift from him, that it's a break from the work. The third thing is this, that it's an issue of trust too. All right, there's a lesson of trust here. And I mean, just look at it like this. Can you see how if you were an Israelite living in the desert, how your faith would be repeatedly put to the test? I mean, God's using all of this. All right, there's no coincidence here. All right, he's not getting sloppy. He's not overlooking details, but he's using all of this to build up their faith, teaching them to trust that he is going to be their great and divine provider. Which when you think about it, how about for us? Like, let's just think about it for a moment, you know, here in January of 2018. Like, can you see how Sabbath rests today? Like, to even consider incorporating something like this in your life, how Sabbaths today requires the same level of trust from us too. Like, like, look at it like this. Like, if I'm going to take a break from the work one day a week, that means that trusting God that he's going to provide for all of my needs, especially as you view maybe every day as a week as a means to provide for yourself or to pay bills or to make a little extra money. It it means this, trusting God that I can get all of the work of the house done, you know, six days a week so that I don't have to do any of it on the seventh. It, it has everything to do with trusting God that one day a week from Facebook, you know, isn't going to lead to my public demise, you know, because I'm not in the know of what's going on. Or uh, it's trusting God that one day a week away from homework, you know, isn't going to ruin me in some way. Sabbath is learning to trust. I'm forced to ask, will I trust God? And you know, my hope for today is that some of you, if you're not doing this already, would be willing to incorporate something like this in your life and to try, uh, to, to try it out. And I'll, I'll just tell you up front, though, you're, you're going to see, you're going to find how we value meaning, uh, find meaning in our busyness. You know, we, we find a lot of worth in our busyness and our unwillingness to slow down. And so Sabbath rest is breaking from the work. It's breaking from the routine and learning to trust God with every part of our lives. Go back to Exodus 20 for a moment. A couple of other things that make the fourth commandment unique. As uh, you just simply observe all ten commandments there on the pages of your Bible, you'll find that the fourth commandment is the longest of the commandments. All right? It has the most description. It's also the only commandment that includes a story and an event. And what's that event? Well, let's look at it together again. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. The fourth commandment reads, Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. 
Neither you, nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. And so what's this event or this story referred to? It's the Genesis account. All right, it's the example that God demonstrated for us. If you read through, and you can do this on your own, if you read through Genesis chapter 1 and even into the first part of chapter 2, you're going to see how God created the earth and how there's an order, there's sort of a cadence or a rhythm to it. Six days function the same in Genesis chapter 1. There's evening, there's morning. You can identify the cadence, really, as you read through the text. There's a flow to it until the seventh day. And scholars have noted there is something fundamentally different, even about the description, even about the writing of the seventh day. Because for God, he did all of the work all of his creating in six days, but on the seventh day, he finished his work and he rested. And why did God take a break? I mean, did God really get to the end of the creation and say to himself, man, I need a day to myself. Like, I just need a day to unwind. I mean, was that God, what God's up to here? No, that's not the case. But really, with his rest, God provided us an example to follow. He's establishing, even in creation, An example, I believe, by which we are to follow and to live. And so the fourth commandment is tied to what God did. That he finished his work and then he created the Sabbath and he rested and he called it a holy day. And here's the thing for us. What the creator of the universe demonstrated for us, he's provided you and me an opportunity to do the same. Really an invitation to live our lives this way. That he, he demonstrates that there should be a rhythm uh, to our existence, to our, to our work, to our rest, to our production, to our gratitude. I mean, it's God's way of saying that your life is so much more than what you can cram into it, you know, in 24 hours. But it's hard, right? Like, it's hard. I, I know this. Like, I've experienced this even as we are in our home are trying to put Sabbath rest to the practice. It's, it's hard to slow down. And part of it is that our culture does not permit us to live this way. All right, just, call, just, just see it for what it is. Our, our culture does not permit us to live this way. And that's especially true if you're trying to get through school right now or trying to get through grad school. And especially if you're trying to maintain a job at the very same time, you know the demands. Or uh, if you're working to, uh, two jobs to provide for your family right now, you know you've got a, just very little time left uh, in the margin. If you're, if you're a single parent. You know that it takes every minute. If you've got kids and your kids are involved in, you know, numerous activities, you know that those activities keep you moving all week long. But somehow, and I mean this, and in some way we have to understand and learn this very important lesson, that we're not machines. We are not machines. God didn't create you to run on fumes. All right, but we go and we go. We're overcommitted and we never slow down. We have made life so complicated and made life so hectic for ourselves. And do we even have any idea what we're doing to our kids? Do we have any idea the example that we're establishing for the next generations? Do, do we even see what's happening in our marriages? Or maybe our busyness is just an opportunity to not even consider what's going on in our marriages. Or, or how about this? Have you ever even considered the impact that running nonstop and never slowing down has on your soul? It's a toxicity, and I think it wastes away at us. It eats away at us, and we don't even realize it. Um, One of the great books that I read over sabbatical 
is this book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. Ben Krause, our Noblesville campus pastor, gave it to me to read, and I read it, and Jenny read it, and it's a book that I'll keep and hold on to forever and try and read every couple of years or so. But uh, he addresses the busyness and, and like what it does to us and, and what it means to step out of that busyness and how hard that can be uh, in his book here, multiple occasions. But I, I love this illustration. Listen to this. He says, there's an exercise that some pilots go through late in their flight training. The student pilot gets the plane airborne at cruising altitude. Then the instructor places a loose-fitting, thick-woven sack over the student's head so the student can see nothing. The instructor takes the controls and starts stunt piloting. He loops the loop. He pushes the plane, Turkish headache style, skyward, then flips belly up and swoops earthward. He rollicks and spirals, careens and nosedives, tailspins and wing tilts. Sounds like a Dr. Seuss book for a moment there, doesn't it? But uh, he gets the student utterly discombobulated. Then he puts the plane in a suicide dive, plucks the bag off the student's head and hands him the controls. His job to get the plane back under control. The exercise is called recovering from an unusual attitude. And then he says this, to keep Sabbath, most of us first have to recover from an unusual attitude. We find ourselves disoriented, in vertigo, we're dizzy with all our busyness and on a collision course and we don't even realize it. And the good news is that we don't have to. Like you don't have to live like this. Like we can make a conscious decision to live a different way and the beautiful truth is that Sabbath provides a better way. Write this down. Sabbath rest also means a better weekly rhythm. To incorporate something like Sabbath rest in your life means a better weekly rhythm. Six days of work. Six days, all right, I do the work of getting, again, all of the work done in life and at home and, and with my job. Six days to get it all done. One day to rest. One day to rest. My challenge for you is to consider this year how you might arrange your week around such a rhythm. And don't you dare overlook the recharge potential, all right, from living such a life. You know, God has a lot to say about Sabbath, uh, so much more than what we're going to talk about today and how to experience it. It's not a coincidence either that Jesus will come along in the New Testament and have a lot to say about Sabbath and how we experience it too. And his teaching and his life, and always the case, provide for us the best example for how we can live life even today here on the earth and how Sabbath should be observed. And it was Jesus who said in Mark chapter 2, verse 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. See, here's what was happening. There were all of these religious leaders of the day who tried to attach so many rules and so many restrictions and regulations to Sabbath, so much that it became a, a heavy burden for people to try and carry. Well, Sabbath was never intended to be a burden. Right? It was always intended to be a gift from God. It's an opportunity, again, to break from the work, to break from the routine, and it's a pattern of life where we try and get all the work done in six days so that we can rest on one of them. And it doesn't have to be the same day for everyone either, even as we think about this practically today. It's not like Sabbath has to be Sunday for you, but maybe that is the best day for you. I mean, I'll just tell you honestly, Sunday doesn't work for me. It's a, it's a work day. I will be back here later on tonight, and so for us, we tend to look to another day of the week. And don't worry, don't fret over taking another day if Sunday doesn't work for you because the Apostle Paul in Romans 14 reminds us that no day is more sacred or holier than any other day in our week. But let's think along those lines for just a moment. 
Like, what does Sabbath look like practically? What, what does it look like to incorporate Sabbath rest into your life? Now, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on these. Uh, you might see on the note sheet that I've included four resources at the bottom of the page, one of those being the book I read from just a moment ago. These are great books if you'd like to study and consider a little bit more about what Sabbath rest might look like for you. But let me just identify this. And these aren't in your notes, but you can write these down. Like, I think just three tips or uh, three things that ought to be involved in every good Sabbath day rest for every person. The first one is this. It's the obvious one. It's a day to rest. All right, Sabbath is a day to rest. Now, there's a time to be in a hurry, and there's a time to work fast and to move fast in order to get things done, but too many of us are moving so fast, so often, and never slowing down. Consider this. If you rev the RPMs on the engine of your car so high for so long, you will destroy, you'll blow up the engine at some point eventually. Well, in the same way, our, our bodies are the same. Okay, our bodies work much the same. We were created to rest, all right? You need to rest in order to live life well. Now, I'm not going to try and tell you today what I think you ought to do uh, with your Sabbath day rest or what it should look like for each person or for each family, but I will say this. It should involve rest. There should be rest in your Sabbath rest day. Now, rest means something different for everyone, uh, whether you're a student uh, whether you're single or married or a, a parent or retired, whatever that may be, or whether you've got young kids or older kids, it can mean sleeping in, all right, if that's possible or if that's preferred for you. But let's just say it. If you have young kids, moms and dads, that's likely not going to happen, you know, uh, in your house. But, uh, you know, one of the things that you can do, you know, if you are a two-parent home, is that you can help each other in this, all right? You can identify different ways of helping one another get a nap or get some extra rest. You've got to figure out what rest means and looks like for you. And I'll tell you, though, what it means for every person every time. Your day of rest should mean taking a break from whatever you define as work in your life. And whether it's work around the house, whether it's work from the office or work from school that never seems to end, we need to figure out ways of resting from the work so that we can be refreshed, we can be renewed, and we can be recharged. The second thing is this. It's a day to play. All right? Sabbath should not only be a day of rest, but I'm a firm believer that it should be a day to play too. And this might be a relief if you grew up in a conservative or a legalistic home or church because you might hear Sabbath and think to yourself restrictions or no fun, you know, whatsoever. But that's not the intent of Sabbath at all, at least in my house for sure. I believe that Sabbath is a day to play and it's a day to know the joy of being alive. And so you've got to figure out, just as you figure out what rest is, you've got to figure out what play looks like for you. What are those activities uh, that breathe, breathe life into you? What are those activities that bring you joy? For some people, that might be a hobby. Uh, it could be a craft or it could be games. I mean, maybe for you, it's exercise. Uh, or a sport or competition. Maybe, maybe for you, getting out for a ride in your car is just what you need, you know, on any given day or a ride on your bike. Or maybe it's movies. Maybe you enjoy movies or video games. Or uh, maybe it's working in the shop. Or uh, maybe it's getting out and working in the garden. Maybe cooking or, or eating really good food on your Sabbath day rest. Ruth Haley Barton, her book is listed on the sheet there. She uh, talks about what every good Sabbath day ought to involve. And she writes this, Sabbath means a nap. 
a walk, a bike ride, wearing your favorite jog pants, uh, a long bubble bath, uh, fellas, uh, eating your favorite foods, all right? Uh, and she puts in parentheses, no dieting on the Sabbath, uh, sitting in the sun, playing a pickup game of football with your kids and neighbors, lighting candles, listening to beautiful music. She says, for husbands and wives, love making on the Sabbath is a must. In fact, Lauren Winter, we get an applause in the back, right? Uh, Lauren Winter points out this, that in Jewish tradition, married couples get rabbinical brownie points for having sex on the Sabbath, all right? Dilly dilly, right? Yeah, is that what you all agree? I was hoping that would go over when I said that, but... You know, again, as I mentioned, um, our family, we're just making the effort to incorporate, we're doing what we can to try and incorporate a day of Sabbath rest uh, each week. And uh, it's hard, you know, it really is hard, again, because our our culture doesn't do a great job of permitting this. And because Sunday is a work day for me, again, it's typically Fridays for us. Uh, Sometimes it has to be a Saturday even. Some some weeks it's really hard to pull off. And so we might not be able to take a whole day as Sabbath, but maybe it's just a, a part of a day that we're able to identify as Sabbath. But we're just making every effort. All right, every effort to live this way, to teach our kids this. Uh, I, I like how Jenny describes it. She says that our Sabbath rest is a day not of uh, have-tos, but it's a day of get-tos. All right, that even as you think about your day, what are the have-tos and what are the get-tos? And so what do we get to do? We get to rest. We, uh, we get to slow down. We get to spend time as a family. Uh, because Jenny does most of the cooking in our home, she doesn't cook unless she feels like it, which means we starve on our Sabbath day. And so I'm, uh, I'm just joking. We, uh, we eat out or I cook or we cook together as a family. Um, I don't mow the yard unless I feel like it. And you know what? Sometimes I feel like mowing the yard uh, on my Sabbath day. We get outside. If we can get outside, we make it a point to spend time alone with God. We are trying to involve our kids by spending quality time with them or letting them spend some extra time enjoying the things they really enjoy. And we're still trying to figure out how it all works. And some days we come out of our Sabbath day rest and it just feels like, I think, I think we kind of hit the mark today. And there are other days where we walk away and think, ah, I think there was a little bit more work involved in that day that we would have liked. And so it's frustrating at times, but uh, we're learning from it. I, I like what Mark Buchanan says about it. I think this is so good. He says, Sabbath rest is more of an art than a science. All right, so think about it as an art and don't overthink it and discover, just discover for yourself what gives you life, what brings you rest. Uh, Abraham Heschel says this about the Sabbath. He says, six days a week we wrestle with the world, bringing profit from the earth. On the Sabbath, we especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. Which leads to the last one there, and that is it's a day to think. Uh, And not think as in work. I mean, maybe remember or reflecting would be better words here, but the idea is that our Sabbath should include time to think and to reflect because we're slowing down. And so it's a good opportunity for you to think about the most important relationships in your life, whether that be with your parents or your siblings or your spouse or your kids. Last week, again, Steve talked about right priorities. So Sabbath can be a great time to reevaluate how you're doing with your priorities. But Sabbath, don't, don't miss this, is also a time to remember your relationship with God. Because again, Sabbath is a gift from him. And so to spend time with him reading your Bible or to to spend some time in prayer or just, just being alone with him I mean, because he loves you. I mean, can you see why this is a gift? He loves you. And he loves to, 
see you enjoy this time. He loves you enjoying the things that you enjoy. He loves to spend time with you. And, and if he created Sabbath for you and if he created it for me, isn't it right that we at least spend some time each of those days with him? He created the Sabbath. Again, it's an opportunity to break from the work, to rest, to play, and to think about those things that are the most important. So let's just kind of review those big ideas for today. Sabbath is a gift. All right, it's an opportunity to break from the work. Uh, It's an issue or a lesson really of trust. It's a better rhythm. The last thing is this. Sabbath is also a reminder of our identity. All right, it's a reminder of our identity. Now, if you've been around, you know that I spent two weeks in Israel last spring that were really just kind of life-changing for me. And uh, if you've heard me talk about my trip, you know that it was full of adventure, and we did a lot of hiking, and every day we didn't know where we were going. We just always had to trust our guide, all right? He was the only one that knew the agenda for any given day. Well, I love geography, so I was always kind of keeping up with where we were in the country. And the one day we started out in central Israel, but we just kept driving far and farther south for several hours, and the farther south we went, well, you get a glimpse here of how the terrain just changed from green and mountainous to dry and sandy and hot, and uh, we eventually ended up in the very far south of Israel in a place called Timna Valley, a national park in the very south of Israel, uh, where Egypt and Jordan and Saudi Arabia come together. And you might be able to see on the map there that city of Eilat, which sits on the Red Sea. And so again, we're as far south really in Israel as you can get. And it was hot. Like it was 115 degrees that day. And the only shade was the shade I could get under the brim of that silly hat. But uh, believe it or not, it was helpful. And so some beautiful rock formations there. We had a number of different experiences at Timna Valley that I'll save and talk to you about another day. But one of the things that we visited was this archaeological site on this next picture. And uh, this is the remains of an ancient Egyptian slave camp. All right. Uh, See, Timna Valley is rich in copper ore and uh, has been mined, or not until previously, but uh, since the 5th century, uh, or 5th millennium, excuse me, BC. And uh, the Egyptians brought slaves here to mine the copper. And mining the copper was hard and demanding work, especially under this intense sun. They believe the average survival time for a slave at Timna was six months. You had six months. If you were sent to Timna then as a slave, you went to Timna to die uh, because your life had no value. Uh, Your worth was found in your work. And when you quit working, they killed you or you simply died. Now, I don't think there is any evidence that the Israelites that we know of were ever brought here as a part of their slavery in Egypt. But our guide took us there, again, just to give us a representation of what life could have been like for them in these slavery conditions in Egypt. And here's the thing. Remember, before God's people ever made it to Sinai, they spent time as slaves in Egypt. Check out Exodus chapter 5, verses 10 to 18 in your own personal study this week. You'll discover the work was intense. All right, if you were a slave there, you had no hope. There was no future. You were treated as machines. Your life was defined by your work. Slavery to Egypt was your identity. But then God raised up a rescuer in Moses. And after some time, God delivered his people from slavery in Egypt, and he brought them to Sinai and gave them the fourth commandment. And here's what's so interesting to me. 
History indicates that Egypt, get this, operated not on a seven-day week calendar, but they operated on a 10-day-a-week calendar. Now, what does that mean if you're a slave in Egypt? More time to work. More time to work. Less breaks. And isn't it interesting then that God brings his people to Sinai And one of the things that he's going to do amongst many others is reestablish the weekly schedule he originally created. One where you will work six days, but you will rest on the seventh. And not only did God give them the Sabbath as a day of rest, but he's going to use his time there at Sinai and even beyond that as a way of showing them that he will be a God that will provide for them. And provide for their every need. He's going to help them better understand their true identity. Not as a slave of Egypt, but as a child of God. That you are no longer a slave of Egypt. You will not be a slave to anyone or anything on this earth. But you are a child of God. You belong to me and me to you. And I'm going to love you. And I'm going to provide for you. And I'm going to be available to you. And I want to walk with you each day for the rest of your life here on this earth. Our band is going to come out right now. And they're going to sing for us just one last song that you're going to just be able to sit in your seats and maybe just take some time to reflect, maybe take some time to pray, maybe to consider, maybe what did the Lord have for me today? Uh, What might be my takeaway today? Or what's an action step that I might take from this? But will you please hear this before we do that? God has provided a rescuer for you and me in Jesus Christ. Just as he provided Moses for the people, he's provided Jesus for you and me. And surrendering your life to him means that you can't be a slave to anyone or to anyone else but God alone. And while our busyness threatens to ruin us, Sabbath, on the other hand, is a great reminder of our true identity as children of God in this world. And if you're struggling trying to live life at 2% today, just know this, it's in God that we find life. It's in God that we can experience the recharge that we need to keep going. But it might mean humbling yourself. It might mean handing over the wheel and trusting him in ways like you never have before and turning to him. And so will you give it some consideration? Maybe make it your prayer today to consider establishing a day of rest in your life. I know it's hard, but trust me when I say it's worth it. It's from God and he can do amazing things through it. And I'll say this too, that if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus Christ before, he loves you. And I just want you to know that it's only in Jesus that you will ever find all that you need. Let's just sit and listen and pray as the band sings this song over us this morning. Press my ear up to my father's chest to hear me. 
beating heart as I simply ask, am I making you happy? Cause all this work is done in vain if I don't even notice if you pull away. Sabbath and even the opportunity, Lord, today to maybe be challenged by you about what establishing a day like this in our lives could mean. And I know that for some here today, they're, they're just sitting here thinking, you know, this is just an impossibility right now. But I pray you'd remove all of those barriers and worries and uh, maybe even some of those impossibilities so that we can see what it is that you have for us. And as we practice these things and as we seek these things, Lord, that we will know and experience the joy. I think just even as that song says right now, just the, the prize that is found in your presence, maybe even deeper and richer ways. And we thank you, Lord, for the gift of your son, Jesus, our ultimate rescuer and deliverer and the life that we can have in him and through him here in this world. Thanks for this church, Lord. Thanks for these people today. Uh, go with us now as we leave here. And we pray this in Jesus' name.